This is the Get Up Eight Podcast with your host, Eric Hodgson. I couldn't believe that I was about to send that email. In simple terms, it stated that I will be resigning my position on October 10th, and I was just sick to my stomach staring at the words on the screen. But when I hit send, I felt like I just made a declaration of war. Now, leading up to that moment of writing that email, so much was going through my mind. I felt like I had my own joint chiefs of staff in my head going over every scenario about how this would play out, especially as all this was unfamiliar territory for me. My recon, several mentors who had made the same declaration of war many years before, and through their successes and failures, they taught me a ton. My training, two years of deliberate work on story, leadership, building resilience, and helping others. And I wasn't leaving my job to go to another job. I was leaving this very well-paying job with great benefits to work for myself as a speaker, trainer, and a coach. But here's the thing, all of those scenarios I played in my head paled in comparison to the fear that I was feeling. It was pervasive in every aspect of my world, ratcheting up its rhetoric as I got closer to making this decision, and it seeped into my thoughts, and it went for the jugular by questioning me making this massive life change. And it casually threw grenades in, in the planning And the questions, how would I fund this? Would I get any support? Would I be waving a white flag again at corporate America in a few months? But what if I didn't make it? All of these things were just swimming around in my head. And while strong in its line of questioning, the only thing that fear didn't factor in was that it was the fuel that I I needed to click send. Hey everybody, this is Eric Hodgson and welcome back to the Get Up 8 podcast where we unpack the challenges and struggles that come at us in life and we find unique ways for you to build resilience, to not just survive those struggles, but to thrive because of them. And our topic today is fear-based decision-making and its effect on our lives. And with us today in studio, okay, it's my living room, but it's a studio, (laughs) is a great friend a veteran of the Air Force, where he was an F-16 crew chief with 15 years overall in aviation. Uh, He had a higher calling and a passion for financial planning, and that took him on a new path. And uh, he's an incredible family man, father of five, uh, uh, just and frankly, one of the most giving people that I know, uh, Nick Davis. Nick, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me on, buddy. I'm, hey. I'm glad to be here with you. Um, I'm excited too, man. This is going to be awesome. So, so Nick, last week you and I were live on a online Facebook group talking about fear-based decision-making. And you shared your story, which to me is very compelling. And especially with how you navigated your way through that, because it wasn't easy in any, in any of these aspects. You know, you were just dealing with so much. Uh, but I'd love you to take a couple minutes and kind of tell us that that moment in your life when you were faced with a massive fear-based decision and what you did with that. Yeah, I think that fear-based decision-making, now that I've, you know, gone through several of those moments is something that I look at often because I see those people around me who I feel have potential far exceeding where they're at currently. Yeah. And I feel that that 
fear-based decision-making holds them back. Sure. And often I get asked these questions like, well, how did you do it? How did you take that leap mm. of faith? And, you know, we can dive into that later, but you know, the, the first moment that it, there, there may be two of them. One was going into the military. Mm. That's kind of scary. You're 18 mm. coming out of high school. Right. <clears throat> and you decide I'm going to go serve my country, which I loved. But the bigger one that really hit me right off the bat was actually when I was getting out of the military, mm. I was, uh, 21, I was offered a, a selective reenlistment bonus if I re-upped of $45,000. Now this is wow. re-up in the <laughs> desert. It's tax-free money. I'm 21. Yeah. That would have been more money than I've ever had in my life. Sure. And they also, I didn't want to go to Korea. At the time I was married and had Haley, my oldest daughter, and I didn't want to go to Korea without them. So Korea was a duty station that an F-16 crew chief normally would go to. Yeah. Somehow, oddly enough, my chief, I think, liked me and they worked it out. I ended up with orders to Japan. So they said, hey, if you re-enlist, here's 45000 you'll end up getting mm. tax-free and you can take your family and go to Japan. Mm. Every person that was in my squadron, everybody that knew me, they were like, Nick, you have to stay in. You, you can't get out. You're crazy. Mm. If you get out of the military, you're nuts. You know how much money you're going to have to make mm. to equal your benefits. Now, when somebody says that to you that you respect, like, some of the flight chiefs and different people, our chief uh, or even the squadron commander, yep. you're thinking to yourself, <clears throat> man, maybe I should listen to them. You know, this is pretty comfortable where I'm at right now. Uh, life's good. Uh, I had a, a really successful four years, won some awards, made mm-hmm. rank quick. But that piece of you just need to stay in. People tell me that's what I needed to do. And um, also saying, this is how much money you need to make. I started, you know, my math brain kicked in and I'm like, wait a minute, man, I'm, I'm working 12, 13 hour days every single day of the week. Um, sometimes every Saturday and when we're deployed, it was seven days a week. Mm. I, I could work for six bucks an hour at the local McDonald's with the overtime that we're getting and equal my military benefits. Wow. So if I'm going to stay in the military, I want right. to do it because that's just what my heart wants. Sure. And something kept telling me that, you know, I, you know, I want to be there for my family and I want to set some roots down. So, mm-hmm. and I ultimately said, you know, if it doesn't work, mm-hmm. I can come back in the military. So right. we made the pivot and, and went out of the military with everybody telling me I shouldn't, I mm-hmm. should stay put. Mm-hmm. I'm in a good spot because yeah. everybody else felt like, Hey, Nick's safe. Nick's doing all right. Right. There was family. Right. And the guys I worked with, most mm-hmm. of them were now in that comfortable cycle and not willing to break it themselves. So right. how could I do it if they couldn't? Right. Right. So that, that's a great, that's a great story to kind of open this up with because I can feel your, you know, God, which way do I do? What do I do with this? I mean, I, I can stay in, they're throwing me some good funds They're yeah. you know, they're throwing me all these benefits. Uh, my squadron's behind me, but I've got my family yep. and you were at the crossroads of making a decision here and, and fear was probably perpetrating your head like I mine was with my job uh, a few months ago. But where were you feeling that fear specifically? I mean, was it was it really about like, oh, geez, you know, if I get out, am, am I going to make it? I mean, tell me tell me more about that particular those fears that you were kind of facing at that moment. Well, I think that the, maybe there's something that helped me was the fear of not seeing my daughter. Mm. So that That's fear probably was the most powerful one. And if I reenlisted and ended up in Korea, I would have to go a year and only get to see my kid for a few weeks out of that year. Wow. And that was a, a go, no go for me. Mm-hmm. But even aside from that, I, you know, maybe some of it growing up, uh, I would say poor, not extreme poor poverty, mm-hmm. but definitely not wealthy by any means. Right. Not, you know, my mom and I struggling to make ends meet when my parents got divorced. It right. was, 
It's like, you know what? I'm going to pave my own path. And the, the fear for me was almost like, I'm going to have to prove to these guys I can do it. Mm. You know, so, so it gave me almost fuel to get out there and do it. Absolutely. But it, it's, it's, it's almost rooted, deep rooted in your past. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and can you, could you take a couple minutes and, and I love this story because it's, it's just, it's so powerful. It speaks to who you are today as a man and a father and, and, and uh, for your family too. But um, tell us a little bit about what you were facing when you were, uh, a young boy and your mom came to you Nick yeah your dad's never coming home again mm. those are the words that my mom said to me uh, sitting in a big chair in our living room and you know at the moment I felt like my world was crashing all around me because uh, my dad was my best buddy we'd hunt together we'd fish together we'd play football together baseball together and I didn't know my dad was an, an abusive alcoholic more alcoholic than abusive, but there was that there. And, and my mom feared for our safety and ultimately went another direction. And, and you know, we lived in a 400 square foot cottage mm. and my, I lived in, slept in a loft and her bedroom was our kitchen. It was our living room. Mm. Uh, we didn't, I mean, she prayed to God, she'd be able to buy me something for Christmas and found a hundred bucks and slush at Kmart parking lot and spent every penny mm. of it on me. That, that giving person that was always grinding it out for me yeah. is kind of, you know, who kind of set me on my path, um, a big part of who set me on my path. And, and to be honest, while you were talking, something that really struck me is that correlates with this. After I got out of the Air Force and had a successful career with the airlines for three years, I thought life was good Right. <clears throat> until the day I came home. And on my drive, I call my wife and, and she says, uh, when are you going to be home? And I was like, well, um, probably a couple hours. Why? And she says, oh, I'm leaving. I said, well, where are you going? <laughs> and uh, she said, no, I'm leaving you, Nick. Oh. Well, at this point, Haley is, you know, three, and I have another daughter, Emma, who's one. Mm. And anger, fear, pain, all mm. of it came flooding in because I know what it's like to be that young boy that your parents are now ripped apart right. and it rips apart your life. Yep. Yeah. And literally within a few months, my, you know, my company tells me they're going to go bankrupt. So... I go bankrupt. My wife go, you know, my wife leaves me. Mm-hmm. My company goes bankrupt. My, my lose everything. The kids, house, cars. I mean, it was definitely country's number one hit single for that year, <laughs> and uh, it was awful, you know. And and pulling out of that driveway, seeing Haley and Emma just in tears, and Haley, I remember her mouthing, you know, why, why is Daddy leaving? Oh. And it absolutely ripped my heart out. And yeah. I had to make yeah. the decision. This was the one, probably the biggest fear-based decision for me. Because as I said earlier, that the fear of not being around my kids mm-hmm. probably helped me get out of the Air Force. Right. Well, now I had to make a decision to either stay in Columbia, South Carolina with mm-hmm. no family, no support, and no job, mm-hmm. or pivot, right. move to New England, yeah. where I could keep my job for a couple extra months, but I had to find something, mm-hmm. and there would be family and support. Mm-hmm. That was scary. Yeah. Um, because my girls were everything to me and I couldn't right. just take them with me right. and I didn't right. want to just take them away from their mom. Their mom's not a bad person, sure. but it was a very, without going into that whole story, uh, you t- know exactly what that's like. I mean, when I got divorced in 2005, uh, I, what do I do now? Yeah. You know, the fear is that you aren't going to be there any longer every night to tuck in your daughters. Mm. Hmm. You're not going to be there, but you have to find a way to, you know, live and thrive and survive and, and, and not just actually survive, but you want to thrive and you want to show that your kids that, that, you know, there is more than just, you know, dad 
having to leave the house for whatever reason, you know, it's, and so I, I, I can definitely feel that, you know, that those, that pain, if you will, and recalling what I was going through with, with, uh, when I got divorced from Zoe's mom and Zoe's the same thing. She rushed up to me and she gave me a hug and like, I'm going to go live with dad. Yeah. But it, for me, it was making a decision to stay local in this town. I didn't, you know, I, uh, fortunately I was able to kind of stay at a, at the job I was at and, and, and remain local. But even just being out of the house yeah. was a decision that you had to make in terms of, well, where am I going to go? What am I going to do now? Yep. So uh, I can only imagine for you having to move, you know, at least a thousand miles away from your girls and them being at a young age, you know, that was probably one of the hardest things you've had to decide. Well, why did daddy leave me? You know, which right. I was Mr. Mom. And then on top of that, you know, my... My oldest daughter, Haley, her mom was a little heavy handed. You know, there was some some abuse that went on there, verbal mm-hmm. and some physical stuff, because Haley was angry. She wanted to be with dad. Yeah. It didn't get handled appropriately. But yeah. when your kid calls you and says, Dad, come get me. Yeah. Come get me. I just want to be with you from the age of three to like 10, oh. 11. It just, it, it, it's a whole, it's, it's a type of pain that, you know, is very difficult. And you've been through it. And for yeah. those of you that can't see us right now, it's, uh, as Eric and I started going this, the, you know, your eyes water up and but tears yeah. about ready to come out because that is very tangible, real fear um, and pain that both of us have been through. Yeah. And from that, from that moment though, I just told myself the thing that helps me is like, okay, I'm not stuck in right now. How do I make this better? I mm-hmm. got to get myself in a position right. to succeed. Right. And and success doesn't necessarily mean dollar amounts, right. but get myself right. to where I'm okay. Right. I'm okay for my kids, yep. my family. Right. And I went to work um, for another company at half the salary mm-hmm. um, in in Central Mass. And when I walked through the door, the first thing they basically told me was, hey, you got to be here for at least five years before you get on with a corporate flight department, mm. which in my world, being in aviation at the time, right. that was the next step up. Right. And I was like, no, that ain't happening. I'm not sitting around for five years not being able to see my kids and I can barely right. make, right. I, I barely put food on the table. Mm-hmm. And eight months later, I got an offer to go work with a the one of the world's largest corporate flight departments. I think it was the largest at the time. And, you know, be in the back of a corporate jet with corporate executives flying all over the world. Mm-hmm. And that was scary. That was like, mm-hmm. well, am I going to get to see my kid? There's all these what ifs and fear. And I said, you know, I just, I got to go for it. Cause if it doesn't work, I, again, I can go back to doing something different or what right, I was doing. Right, right. And it turned out great because the chairman of the company had a house down where my daughters live. So I got to see my kids all the time. Nice. Figuratively speaking out. for a dad. Yeah. yeah. And, and you'd fast forward to today, Eric, and I mean, the, the funniest one was just when I actually finally made the pivot to go into the, doing the financial planning, yes. which in, as a kid, I, I always loved it. I loved yeah. this thought of Wall Street, but I just didn't like the thought of living on Wall Street. Right, That's not right. my cup of tea. I'm a country boy. <laughs> right. So my uh, wife had a financial advisor and uh, it was funny. She's like, we got to go meet with my financial advisor before we get married. And I'm thinking, this chick's loaded, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and because uh, I always grew up so poor, nobody talked about having financial advisors right. when I kid. I thought you had to have millions of dollars and right. that wasn't the case. So we meet with this person and, the, you know, long story short, I get offered the position. Now, her parents who know that we're getting married or, or we had just gotten married are like, "You're this guy's giving up a six figure salary, a pension, a, yeah. a, a, a fortune. Well, back yeah. up for a second. So just real quick. So this is now... Uh, you're remarrying, correct? Correct. Okay. Yep. So 
this, this <clears throat> I just wanted to kind of clarify that so that yep. this isn't this isn't the first marriage, and it's and, not the same woman I'm remarrying either. That's that's even better. <laughs> <laughs> we made things, we've patched things up. That's the real country story right there. <laughs> right? Near, 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 near. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, not to not not. I have nothing bad to say about my ex-wife. It, it, yeah. We were just kids when we got married. Sure. And, Rough situation, but yes, yeah. I, I met Sarah, and uh, Sarah's a physical therapist, mm-hmm. uh, very smart, uh, high performer, just a big, had, had a huge heart, and and when I met her, I just was like, I don't want to talk about marriage or kids, and six months later, we're, three months later, we're pregnant, six months later, we're married, and I'm wow. like, that girl is not only a physical therapist, she must have slipped drugs in my drink, so <laughs> something crazy happened, but the, the financial advisor piece came in, and her mom pulled me aside in the kitchen, I'll mm. never forget this day. Yeah. It's just me and her mom and, and the farmhouse at the kitchen. Yeah. And, and she goes, well, nobody else in the family is telling you this, but I'm just going to tell you. I'm just going to say it to you. You're making the biggest mistake of your life. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, you don't even know mm. what you just set in motion. Yeah. You don't tell me that, That's right? Cool. And I was already scared because yeah. when I gave up that pension and the six-figure salary at that right. corporate flight department, mm-hmm. well, guess what? The new company I came on with, if I don't pass my Series 7 and 66 exams, I don't have a job. And those are required for you to become a financial advisor. Yeah, to be a licensed securities rep. Yes, you have to pass your Series 7, which I've heard people say it's about 25% less difficult than the bar exam. <laughs> so you're taking that and then yep. following that up with an, another test. It was, it was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. Yeah. And if I didn't pass it, I didn't have a job. Right. And I couldn't go back to my old job at that point. Right. So there was some serious motivation and fear there. And, and now, you know, because I didn't listen to that fear, mm-hmm. I didn't let that fear make my decisions for me. Yeah. My wife is now a stay at home mom, which yeah. my mom always wished she could have been. Sure. And I live a life that I don't want to retire from. Right. I absolutely love working with my clients and right. I love diving. It's not, it doesn't feel like yeah. work. Right. So, um, but this is, this is a case where you've taken this challenge that's come your way. You've taken this fear based decision that you had to make. Uh, and let me, let me rephrase that. Uh, so it's a little bit more clear. So, we are faced with fear-based decisions uh, that we can make every single day. Some of them, yeah. some of those can keep us stuck, but some of those can be the catalyst to not only get us through whatever it is that challenge that we're facing at that time, but to help us thrive. For you, absolutely making that decision to step away from aviation, especially where you loved it and you knew that it was you could stay there and keep growing and hit that five-year mark where you were going to get to the next level. But you decided to take this leap of faith in a way mm-hmm. to to do this completely new path. And and it wasn't something that was it's a calculated risk that you took. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a risk that that you had no prior knowledge of what this world was like, but you felt that there was a passion there that you could uh tap into. And that and I'm sure over those last five years. There's been points where you're like, what have either what have I done or or all right, this is kind of challenging well, you know, or or has it been that way? I think that something you know, I really think that there's you know, I hit on one end of it where it's like there's some pretty dramatic points in my life where right. it was like a big oh Jesus moment. Right. Um, but I think that there's times too where people make decisions based on let's say, like my wife, for instance, let's say she took a job um yeah, she was a PT working for a great company, but she right. was just going to pivot and do something different. Let's right. say she wanted to be a beekeeper, right? Mm-hmm. Right. What is my family going to think of me? 
Mm-hmm. Like maybe we don't right, even need right. the money. Let's say you're in that situation. Right. You're listening right. and you're in that situation, but you're afraid to make that decision because right. of what somebody else may think of you. It has nothing right. to do with money. Right. right. It's still a fear-based decision. Yep. Right. And and the more that you can take that deep breath, step back a mm-hmm. little bit, um, maybe there's those couple of people in your life that you really trust. Yeah. The, the mm-hmm. people that I have met in my career now mm-hmm. as a financial planner, financial advisor, you know, it's... Um, I see people that are the, that are the most successful. When I say success, it's mm-hmm. it's not dependent on their income. Right. Yes, a lot of them do have high incomes, but some don't. And right. you know what? They're successful because they live a life by design. They yeah. they're happy. Right. Right. Because they're making the decisions that light them up. Right. They're making those pivots, even though they're scared or somebody right. else is telling them they're crazy. Yeah. They're taking that out, and it opens up those doors for you to have the opportunity to to fulfill that destiny that you were put on earth to do. Right. That most of us don't reach because we let that that fear-based right. stuff sink in right. and we don't pivot. Well, I think it's the same thing is is true. And that's a great point. You know, whether it's starting a new venture or working through one of the deepest challenges that you have in life, those types of, of uh, fear-based decisions are going to come at you. Whether you take them or not, whether you use those, use those as catalysts or not, is... is and and I'm sure that you and I could look back on our life and realize that there are times when we did we did make a fear-based decision that kept us in place for a certain amount of time. Um, I'm facing a decision right now. Do I move or do I not move? I've lived in this house for 11 years and everything reminds me of Zoe here. So yeah. if I sell my house, I know I'm not selling you know selling these memories. I know I'm not ever going to lose those memories of Zoe. But it's that that does fear comes in. It kind of creeps in and goes. Well, do you really? What, you're not going to be able to go up and sit in her room. Yeah, you're not going to be able to. How how could you ever possibly? This is this is the mindset. How could you ever possibly uh, forgive yourself if you leave this house? I mean, those types of questions come in, and I think that when we're facing challenges in our life, um, we have to acknowledge that those types of thoughts are going to be there. If we try to suppress them, I think they come on stronger. But if we actually take a look at those decisions and try to look at the root of where they may be based from, it might help us uh, become the foundation for us to move forward. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and not just power through it, but, but get through it in a way that helps us grow. Yeah. So that the next time a very similar decision like that comes up, we can it will we'll recall what we went through previously and 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 get through this next challenge much cleaner so i i think it's fantastic um to be able to talk with people who have similar uh mindsets in terms of of how they've gotten through some of the most difficult things um <laughs> yeah you don't want to talk to to the to the person that you went to college with or school with right. high school with or is in your hometown that has worked at the same job for the last 30 years right. miserable hates it and bitches about everybody every day right that's not who you go to and say hey i'm thinking about doing this what do you think <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you just don't you, you can't why would you know that's when i i've always tried to do that when i'm talking to people i you know i hear it all the time oh my cousin said i shouldn't invest in this that's right. crazy right is he a financial advisor right, right. is he does he oh, or it's about real estate well right. is he a realtor right no he's a plumber well right. what the hell are you doing well, you know something happened most likely our decisions are based on previous experience mm-hmm. uh or we because we're not fully uh educated on on whatever it is that we're trying to do we're, there's a lot of unknowns there and we're not trusting ourselves 
to make those decisions, uh, knowing that, look, there's just as much of an opportunity for an outcome to work out very well mm-hmm. as it is to fall flat on its face. And who cares if it falls flat on its face anyway? We learn from that, right? That's not a failure of, of, of epic proportions to where nothing can ever work again right. But we tend to kind of steer our way towards those decisions where I'm, I don't know about this, man. If I do this, this is really going to – I, I want to be safe. I want to feel safe. Humans innately want to feel safe. We, we, when we start coming up with these decisions, fear activates that fight or flight mm-hmm. mechanism in our brains. Yeah. And our brains subconsciously are making these decisions for us. And they manifest themselves through these thoughts, through uh, you know what we take in and what we're actually looking at uh, around us from you know from people, friends, and and I had a friend of mine who said to me like you know are you sure you want to leave this job, man? You're getting paid well, you know. Are you sure you want? Are you sure this is? What, I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate with you right now, you know. But are you sure you want to do this? Meanwhile, when you're not walking in somebody else's shoes, you don't know what they've what they've been working through, what they're going through, what they're working for, their dreams. Mm-hmm. And who are we to dash somebody else's dreams just because I, it may we, not have worked for us? Oh, well, we do it too often. We do it to our kids all the time. Well, of you, course. You're never going to be a professional baseball player, so uh, why would you, uh, right. you know, don't worry about that. Just focus on your academics. Well, right. maybe your kid was going to be the next major league yeah. baseball star right. starting pitcher of the World Series, and mm-hmm. you literally just took that opportunity away because you told them they can't do it. Right. Why can't they do it? You know, right. and I think we often to take take ourselves out. You're you're not doing it because you we don't want your kid to be a pro. You're taking you're doing it because you're like you're fearful that yep. your kid's going to focus too much on that, not on school. Right. Well, what about the kids that do focus on school and they come out and then they don't get a job? Right. You know, it, there's so many different things, and it's like you know what? When you the people I see that are happiest are doing exactly what they want to be doing. Mm. You know, so maybe that's not it doesn't have anything to do with money. Maybe right. it does have to do with right. like finances, so that you can do something else. Right. Yeah, you know, I don't. My goal, my success for me is not making $10 million a year. Right. Success for me is living a life where I have work-life balance right. and my job, which mm-hmm. actually what I do right now, I yeah. love it. Yeah. It's it's not like work. Yeah. It doesn't feel like that. Right. And I can have, I work with great people I love and, and I have plenty of time with my family. So right. when you, when, let me ask you a question because <clears> this is prompting a, a, a thought here. Uh, when you are working poten- with a potentially new client and they're sitting in front of you, money is a big can be a big driver of fear. You know, mm-hmm. they don't want to lose it. They want to find a way to grow it and save it and protect it. And you're there to help them protect their future, right? Not just now, but their future. Yep. So when you're sitting in front of a, a potential new pair of, of a client, how do you help them understand what it is that they're facing uh, and, and, that, and kind of remove the fear? How do you help them kind of extract that fear from a decision to not just work with you, but to, to protect their, their future. Well, yeah, did take the, um, work with me out of this conversation for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what it's like to be the person sitting on the other side of the desk. Yeah. And I think it's because of my upbringing without money. And mm-hmm. then, um, all my struggles through life, going through bankruptcy myself as a, as a 24 year old man, right. After owning my first home, all that stuff that I went through. Um, <clears throat> and also wishing that somebody, when I was, in high school would have explained to me, you know, I always heard, okay, put money in a 401k. What does that mean? Right. right. What does it really mean? Okay. Put it in. Then I spend it when I get older. Right. So what I really do is the, the first thing I do is I want to know, cause some people, it might not have anything to do with 
how much money am I going to have? Because maybe they have a pension, maybe it's between pension, social security, they're all set for income. Their big fear is, am I going to be healthy enough to travel the world and do the things I want to do? So I I really take the time to listen, Mm. to find out what it is that really keeps my client or potential client up at night. Right. Because I may think one thing and it's right. completely the different exactly. than theirs. And yep. then I'm not listening. Right. And I'm just like mm-hmm. all the other mouth breathers out there saying, hey, let me get your money and I'll invest it and right. make it do X when that's not the big concern for for those that that is a concern. You know, I just make sense of it. You know, when somebody's sitting across from me, I, I'll explain to them that, you know, savings, if it, you know, your portfolio, your retirement 401k or whatever, it's going to become like basically an ATM machine. It's going to be an income generator for you in retirement. Mm. And how we set that up now depends on how powerful that ATM machine is. (laughs) And, and also there's different strategies for when you position into that retirement realm of, okay, well now how do we create that reliable Mm -hmm. income stream and and how much do we actually get to take and when do we take social security? And Mm -hmm. I really will take all that stuff and wrap it up in a neat bow and and simplify it. I won't go, I take the financial nerd out of it and say, (laughs) Hey, look, let me be, you know, Nick Davis, the the Air Force veteran right now. And let's just talk. Let me explain this to you from my grown up, you know, poor kind of mindset and it makes sense. And I show it to them. They're like, wow, really? I can, that's my income stream I'm going to have. And like, yeah, you're going to be good. And this is how much you leave to your kids. Well, I don't want to leave my kids anything. Okay, well, let's take it to zero. (laughs) I've had that. I've had that. Let's travel even more. Dude, that literally, I've had people like, you're going to, you're going to die at 90 years old with $4 million. Wow. You know, somewhere in that realm. They're like, bullshit on that. (laughs) They're like, mama's getting a new pair of shoes and daddy's going to Vegas. And, and I'm, kind of being funny, but I've actually had people tell me that. Sure, and, sure. and so it's like, okay, well, yeah. the other thing you don't want to do is like spend it all down and then, right. uh, you know, then you got nothing left. So how do we kind of come to a happy medium? So you guys got some flexibility. Right. And obviously there's a million other things that tie into it, mm. but to try to not make that a super long winded answer. Yeah. That's where I approach it from. Yeah. And no, that's, that's incredible. And, and you and I have had some conversations recently about, you know, as I'm stepping away from corporate America and a steady income stream, steady benefits. Yeah. And, and looking at using some of my funds that I had saved for, to build this new, venture up uh, you know there's there's they have to think longer term and strategy and and i think whenever we're faced with something that's really difficult in our lives especially where a fear-based decision could have us go either direction uh you know staying stuck or moving forward that um it's it's so good to have that bigger picture and you, dude you just struck a uh something with me big time but yeah. you and, and I wish I had the exact words to make this sound really cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to make it sound as cool as I want to. But honestly, I've, I know people that have died with regrets. Yeah. And I have clients who are, or have had clients that, um, or worked with people, I should say that have been completely miserable mm-hmm. and had plenty of money. Mm-hmm. So those regrets might be, I didn't save enough, but they right. could also be, I never did what I really wanted to do in life. Right. And often I, you know, I think about it, I'm like, you know, if somebody told me I had six months to live, mm-hmm. how am I going to live those next six months? Mm-hmm. And, and when you can really start getting down to that level on things and yeah. you ask yourself, Hey, what is it? What, what, man, if I got six months to go, or mm-hmm. I, I only got five years to go, what is it that I want to do before I leave this earth? What's right. that bigger impact right. I want to have? What, you know, as, as Scott 
our our good friend Scott Mann always tells us like, what are the tracks you're going to leave? Right. My tracks when I when I do this exercise that, that you and I have done, you know, I really think about my kids to say right. my dad right. always put others first. Yeah. He 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 always gave more than he received, mm-hmm. and money was never his god. Right. And and when I can help empower other people to to live a life that that they should live. Yes. If I can help get them outside of that fear-based yeah. decision making, whether yeah. it be fear-based with money or fear-based with, you know, a relationship, that's an right. area that I struggle with, right. but you know, multiple divorces, couple yep. long-term relationships, I right. seem to connect with people on that level. Yep. You know, I'd love to offer insight because that lights me up. Right. And I'm living a life where if, you know what, if God forbid tomorrow is my last day on earth, right. I think my kids and some of the people I'm surrounded with will go, hey, you know what, Nick lived a good life. Yeah. You know, he lived, yeah. you know, he lived it in a way that, that served others yeah. and, and really wasn't focused on the almighty dollar. It was all about his family. Yeah. And I'm not perfect family man. Don't get me wrong. I'm, right. I could be a way better husband. Mm-hmm. I could be a much better father. But I continually try to strive on those things. And when something comes our way, I don't dismiss it. That's right. another piece that maybe is a whole nother podcast. Is yeah. are you that person that just dismisses something when it comes into your life, or do you right. take it in for a minute? Mm-hmm. Right. Let's breathe. Right. And what what are the options of this? Right. What happened? What if we did do this? Right. Then what? And, right. and let's dream about it a little bit. Yeah. My wife always calls me a dreamer. Uh-huh. And it, and I drive her crazy because she's an analyzer <laughs> yeah. and I'm more the motivator mindset where she has to analyze everything. Yeah. Whereas if you tell me, you know, tonight, Hey, I got five friends coming over. We got to do this, this. And I'm like, cool, man, we'll make it happen. Want me to run down the grocery store? Sarah's like, shit. <laughs> All right. Five people. Wait, well, five people are coming over. What are we going to do with the dog? And when right. we get the dog over here and then we got to, well, are they, are they vegetarians? If they're not vegetarians, then we're going to, and it, well, Nick, how are you going to do this? And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> Woman, calm down. But Slow down. and it's not bad. It's right, just we're wired differently in that way. Right, and, right. and and honestly, we feed off of each other in a very positive way because sometimes she reels me in, like, let's get a little analytical about this. Right. And sometimes I reel her in and I'm like, hey, look, this is something that's an opportunity being presented to us. Right. Let's let's talk about it and let's see how it rolls. Right. It's not it's not so much a balance <clears throat> as it is a fusion. Yeah. You know, and one of my other mentors, Bo Eason, would talk about that he is not he doesn't have a balanced relationship with his wife, Dawn. They have more of this uh, understanding and this fusion where the energies work together in unison. Mm-hmm. And and I can see that with you and Sarah. I can see that with Scott Mann and his wife, Monty. I can see that with other couples that I've known. And and yes, uh, to go back and talk just real quick and make a point that you were talking about um, you know, regrets. And uh, one of the things that we've learned from Scott is that, hey um, – you know, we can, when we're taking our last breath, is it going to be a very short breath of regret or is it going to be a very long, deep breath that you did everything you possibly could while you were here? Yeah. And, and I think that there's those opportunities where, uh, where we could be facing, we don't know how much time we have left. We could have it less than a day. We just don't know. Yep. Hopefully it's longer than that. But, uh, when, if we have the capacity to look back on our life, and and recognize decisions that we made based on fear mm-hmm. versus decisions that we've made, uh, you know, looking at the bigger picture, taking it all in, like you're suggesting, really delving into what the potential of this decision could have in the long term. It actually might be something that's so beautiful and 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 uh, affect other lives. It makes an impact with other people's lives. In a way that you can't see right now. No, how long after you're gone? Yeah, how long after you're gone? 
And and obviously this exercise that we're talking about, I write about it in my book, uh, A Sherpa Named Zoe, but I also, we work with Scott Mann on this a lot, and he has us do this exercise every time we're with him in at our leadership conference. Uh, and I'm telling you, it's so powerful to go through this because first it's emotional because you're imagining the person who's holding your hand as you're taking your last breath. Mm-hmm. And, and that's emotional as it is, but... And then you're writing down those things that you would want this person who's holding your hand to say about you 15 years in the future, if they're just having coffee with a, a friend, tell me about who Nick was. Right. What type of man was Nick? And and just working uh, together over the last couple of years and becoming friends and, and seeing the work that you're putting in now to make sure that that legacy and those, uh, those tracks that you want to leave are going to come to fruition man, it fills you with so much purpose. Yeah. It fills you with so much uh, energy and direction and actually hope for the future. You know, I I get sometimes, I, I kind of talk to you about it offline, but one yeah. of my things I always try to reel myself in because I get passionate. I'm yeah. really passionate. I get really excited. And when I hear people talk on a radio or wherever and they're really calm and measured, I'm yeah. like, damn, I got to get better like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I got to tell you the thing that like where I really think if I don't connect with somebody or I don't make it happen, am I shortchanging them? Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example uh, that, that really in my world of being a financial advisor uh, affected me, kind of shook me to my core. You know, I had a um, client that actually we were out. My wife and I met uh, this guy. His name's Seth. And um, Seth turned out to be, turned into one of my first clients. Mm. And really good guy. Uh, his wife, Jody, they had, they had a couple of kids at the time. And uh, we're going to have another one. Money was tight. He is a business owner. And, you know, I took the time because I took the time and and faced down my fears. I became a financial advisor. And now because I was, you know, like, I don't want to go to this thing tonight where we end up meeting him. Mm -hmm. We went and then I, you know, opened my mouth. We talked and we connected. Yeah. Um, It was. Uh, about a year, year and a half ago, I don't remember the exact time frame right at the moment. I feel bad saying that, but it was it, it was over a year ago, mm-hmm. year and a half ago. Uh, I got done with an appointment, and I checked my voicemail, and I just I'll never forget hearing Seth say, "Nick, uh, hey, this is Seth. Uh, no easy way to say this. Jody just had a massive stroke, mm. and she's in the hospital." And I was like. Man, I, for the whole weekend, I was messed up because mm. I didn't go home and tell Sarah about this. Right. Obviously, this is a client of mine. So, you know, everybody's kind of like, what's wrong with Nick? Well, I'm just in my head going, wow, well, Jody had the stroke. She's in the hospital. Is she going to be okay? Mm-hmm. I'd been talking to Seth about finan- about estate planning and life mm. insurance, which we put in place. Mm. And... um but put in place and it wasn't easy. I had to like tell him I was going to stick my foot in his rear end. And, and Jody was the worrier and... And that Monday, I call him and he goes, I just hung up with the, the surgeon. Jody's dead. Mm. There's 37 years old, wow. three kids, yeah. a business. And it was that phone call Seth said to me, Nick, I, th- th- I, I, I'm so thankful. I don't know where I would be without mm. you right now. Mm. Had you not talked to us about life insurance? Right. Because it was a significant amount of money that they right. put into life insurance policy, which was small pennies, but nobody had ever talked to them about that. Right. 
Now, if, if for me, this is mind blowing because if we reel it back to when I was in the Air Force and right. if I just stayed there, right. or when I was working for the airlines and then I went to corporate and then they're like, oh, you can't leave your job at this corporate department right. and the pension right. to go be a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't do that. Nick Davis wouldn't have met Seth. Right. And Seth wouldn't have had life insurance mm-hmm. for him and his wife. Yeah. And Seth's kids probably would never go to college. And Seth's chills, business man. probably would have went under. Yeah. And, and, and that, it, it would, it, who knows what their kids do and the right. impact years after you and I are gone and Seth's right. gone. Mm-hmm. Maybe those kids go to MIT and change the world yeah. and create right. clean energy. I just point there, it just blows me away. Yeah. Who are you cheating? Yeah. Right. By letting fear make your decisions for you, not right. just yourself. Right. Who else is now not going to benefit from right. what you might bring to fruition because mm-hmm. you're stepping outside of your comfort zone? Right. I think we owe it to the person next to us to get outside of that fear. Yes. Say, F you, mm-hmm. you're not going to control me. I'm mm-hmm. doing this. I right. doesn't mean make irrational decisions, but right. no, this is speaking. I'm going here. Yeah. And, and make it happen because you don't know who that person is that you're going to touch their life in a way that is going to have such a big impact that the, yeah. the world will be eternally grateful for it. So sorry, yeah. I get a little wound up nope. about that. Um, in fact, I want to, I think I want to wrap right there, man. Okay. That was so strong and you're absolutely right. You know, I could have made that decision to stay at my corporate job, which wasn't a bad job. Uh, but if, if what the work I'm doing now can change one life for the future. God knows who and what that will be in the future. But if I decide to stay put and not face those fears, if I faced, if I didn't face that fear and hit send that day on that email, absolutely, I don't know what I I, I would probably not be affecting some uh, lives positively right now, or it would be on a very limited basis. So, and I know that's already started to change since I made that decision about seven months ago. Or eight, mm-hmm. six months ago. So, Nick, thank you. Really good conversation. I definitely think we should pick up and have a second podcast in the future again to great. talk about some some more topics as we're kind of going through our our, our lives here and 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 to obviously offer tips for um, the you know the audience here. But but thank you so much, man. It was really good to have you here, and and thank you for what you do. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for. God, I mean, you know, thank you for being a good family, man. Thank you for for being in Seth's life, you know, because like you said, who knows what that's going to lead. So I appreciate it, man. And it was uh, great to have you here. Uh, great to be here. You're all too humble, my friend. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's great to be in the presence of you. And, and, you know, you're just one of those guys that are constantly trying to help others. So if I can live up to your standards, I'm, I'm halfway there. Uh, I'm, I'm doing something. <laughs> we're so. like dueling banjos. Now we're getting back to the country song again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great, man. I'm looking forward to more of it and, and seeing where, you, you know, sky's the limit for you. So I'm yeah, excited you too, for man. you. You too. Thanks, brother. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Get Up 8 podcast. I'm Eric Hodgson, and I invite you to visit resilienceleaders.com, where you can find free resources to help you start thriving today. Also, check out upcoming events in my new book, A Sherpa Named Zoe, How to Walk Through Grief and Live with Intention.